and welcome to the Let's Talk Talent podcast. We're going to be sharing over a series of episodes, tips and techniques, bringing our friends and family to share their stories, their experience of working life today, because together we can create simply irresistible organizations. Happy listening. And welcome to episode 10 of the Let's Talk Talent podcast. So I'm really excited to be introducing Mel Francis today. She is a senior HR professional and neurodiversity champion. And like me, she shares a passion in all things HR, but ultimately how we unlock the potential in people, teams and organizations. So we're in for a wild ride and I'm really excited to be talking to her. So welcome, Mel. Hi, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to be with you. Awesome. This podcast is all about managing your HR career. And you and I have had a quite eclectic, if some would say squiggly career, haven't we, to kind of get to where we are now. And it'd be great if you'd share your HR story. Yeah, I think people would describe my career as being squiggly, Joe. But it's weird, isn't it? Because until you start to talk to others, you don't realise quite how squiggly your career has been. So when I go back to where I started, I started out working for a pensions company as a pensions administrator in what today would have been called an apprenticeship. So I was working in a very administrative office. We had, I think, one computer somewhere in the office that someone used sometime. And we wrote all our letters and sent it off to the typists to type up and send back out to us to send to the policyholders about their pension. So it's like, and we did all the calculations manually as well on how much people were going to be um, receiving for their pension. So it's like a world away from today's workplace. But while I was there, I had the opportunity to study for a BTEC in business and finance. And that's really where my first interaction with HR came about, because the lesson, which was personnel back in those days, was something that just really got me buzzing and I was so interested in what we were learning that I decided that's where I wanted my career to go and that organization you were able to put in for an internal transfer to go to the personnel team but quite frankly no one was ever going to leave it was a really small team and so it was at that stage that I decided that if I was going to make this happen I had to do it myself so I was living at home. I sold my car, which I loved at that point, and took myself off to Manchester Metropolitan University to study for a higher national diploma in HND in business and personnel. Can't say that that was, you know, the the unique experience that everyone dreams of. I think taking a girl out of a village and sticking her in a big city was the big deal for me, and I really struggled to make that transition. I didn't feel particularly safe in the big city, but I knew that I wanted this qualification, kept at it for a year, came home, finished it in my own environment on a part-time basis and and got the qualification that I was dreaming of. So that was really the kind of first stage in that squiggly part, as it were, which then opened doors for me into my HR career, which have just continued. So my first HR role was in the NHS on a maternity cover, which I'm really glad I did. I have massive respect for anybody that works in the NHS and navigates that level of complexity, but it was a great start to my career. And really from there, I went to to work as an HR manager for a US owned organization, which was a big leap actually, you know, 
created a staff handbook, implemented policies, renegotiated on the benefits, and then was sitting there responsible for HR for you know, a relatively small workforce who weren't going anywhere. So it became a bit less interesting. And so I decided to make a move to my first telecoms organization, which was called Energis, where I had my first business partner role which gave a really good oversight of running a business and understanding the different elements within that business and the importance of the front end of the business, actually, and how the people part of that was just as critical as the finance part. And I remember there, it was where a director who I'm still in touch with today, who I still hold in great esteem, said to his whole team, there are two people in this team that you need to be really close with. One's your finance partner, and the other one's your HR partner. And that has always stayed with me. I think people and money are the two fundamental things that make an organization work and having the right people in the right place at the right time, according to the organization requirements have always stayed with me. So that was a great organization to be part of. In learning, it was also a great organization to be part of professionally because it came very close to going out of business very quickly. And so that was my first interaction with redundancy procedures, with getting people ready and equipped to have those conversations, but also supporting the workforce. And I think the other thing that I really learned there was as an HR professional, of course, you have these difficult tasks that you've got to manage and it really is managing them. Um, some managers have had no experience of it, some are nervous of it. And so that true partnering with the business to enable those processes is really critical. But at that point at which you deliver that message to those individuals, you become their partner. You know, you have to help them to navigate this process and to support them, which means that you've got to be there to answer their questions. You've got to help them to deal with the emotions and have the support mechanisms in place for those types of things because it's a massive deal for people going through those changes. Again, that has never left me. I may be an HR professional and sometimes that sort of strategic part can override the personal part, but I never forget what my role is. It has human at the absolute core of it. From Energis, I went to another telecoms company, which was Vodafone, which was a huge HR team and another huge opportunity for me to continue to grow my career. And it was almost a squiggly career within one organization, going from being a, a partner to taking more specialisms um, and I was asked to create the employee relations team at Vodafone which was another baptism of fire but one that you know I would never change after two years of being within that employee relations I took the opportunity to jump across to employee recognition which was a much nicer place to be and from there I went on to maternity leave which also gave me the opportunity to think about where I was and what I wanted the fact that me and my gorgeous son were disconnected by the A34 and made me think that actually now is the time to rethink. Also coupled with the fact that Vodafone weren't really sure what to do with me when I went back meant that it just presented the beautiful opportunity to take some voluntary redundancy. And I found a job closer to home in Oxford and I joined Oxford University Press, 
My role was supporting staff in 35 different countries, and we had different entities in those countries as well. So again, another string to my bow, as it were, in dealing with international employment. I was approached about a role at Said Business School. That is Oxford University's business school. And so I went to join that team, which was chaotic, I think it's fair to say. Disorganised team of three brilliant people running to whoever was literally shouting loudest at them. And really spent my time, and I was there for eight years, spent my time creating a professional HR function which was much more aligned to the business, had much more clarity over roles of the HR team and enabled the progression of those within the HR team too. But when it came to the end of 2019, I was just feeling really tired with the repetitive nature of the role and um, had my fifth COO join who was, you know, they were all brilliant COOs, but I just felt like, here we go again and felt like it was time for a change and skipped off into the sunset at the end of 2019 to a company who run summer schools for kids, um, majority of which are private school kids, and the majority of which were Chinese private school kids. And you can see where this is going. They were hit really early with the impacts of COVID in that parents stopped booking their kids onto summer school because you know, the impact was becoming really evident really quickly in that space. So. I then found myself on the other side of the table, which was having a conversation where I was being told, I was literally told, we have to part ways, which was a really interesting chat to have from an HR professional perspective. So you can imagine the, uh, the response in that. But there I was, found myself out of work in March at the beginning of the pandemic. And I went into panic mode. You know, I'm a single mum. I have a mortgage to pay. And I was really lucky in that I managed to secure some work as a consultant and I became a furlough expert, which obviously at that time, none of us really knew what a furlough was. So when Rishi, our friend Rishi Sunak was talking on, and it was generally on a Friday night, which then sorted my weekend right out about furlough, I was poring over his words because notes were not published straight after what he'd said and going through and looking at what the difference was for us in terms of furlough and then creating documentation, creating frequently asked questions, answering questions via the consultants to their SME clients. So actually that period, although that was never going to pay all the bills, etc., got me through and, and gave me another opportunity to look at probably one of the biggest developments in, in HR over the course of my career. So I'm really pleased that I was able to do that. And then I secured a maternity cover role at an organization called JISC, who are an ed tech organization supporting education establishments. And I was there for a year, well, 15 months, actually. And we did some great projects during the course of that time. And we made some real difference in that space. And now I'm working at London Business School, where I am a strategic people partner, partnering with some brilliant minds at LBS and making a difference there. So professionally, if you look at my CV, is that's, that's my profession. That's just one element. And those of you that know me and have worked with me know that I always talk about us having one head and us taking that wherever we go. I think for me, that's also been really, really important to pick out some real key elements of my career 
of my personal life at the same time as running that career. Because when you just look at that career, that might sound all jazzy and funky. But, you know, there are times and points in, in my career where that one head thing is really important. So just after I started at the role at the American organization, literally in my second week, I developed a headache, which was so painful. It meant I couldn't go in. I was then still off. The tablets from the doctors didn't work. So I was admitted to hospital where, to cut a very long story short, I was diagnosed with having two brain abscesses. I was transferred to a specialist hospital in Oxford where they attempted to aspirate the abscess to see what was causing them, which actually resulted in that abscess being ruptured. So then I have a brain full of abscess pus which meant that I had to go through a total of nine brain operations, neurosurgical procedures. I was in hospital for two and a half months. I was unconscious for just over six weeks of that. My family were called in on two occasions because I didn't think I was going to survive through the night. And when I was discharged, I had to learn to walk again because I was lying down for so long that my body had just forgotten how to do all of the things that it naturally does. Throughout that period, my employer, who, as I said, I was only there for a week and a half, had continued to pay me, continued to keep in touch with me and continued to support me, which was just so important. That is a really key thing to take away from that experience. And so I now have a condition called hydrocephalus, which is where your cerebrospinal fluid will gather in the points where you've had some kind of injury. So for me, because they've poked around in my brain with those nine operations, I've got pockets where that fluid will gather and I have a tube which runs from my brain down to my abdomen and drains off any excess fluid. And I will always have that. That's for life. You know, I'm not medicated. I don't have any side effects from that. But, you know, I'll always have that hidden disability if you like and that element is really key as well now the other thing to mention is you know again back to my one head scenario when I was at Energist Communications my shunt as it's called it's a ventriculoperitoneal shunt blocked and so one morning I didn't wake up luckily my line manager was aware that I have hydrocephalus and she was minded enough to call my mum to say Mel's not turned up mum came to my house she found me asleep well unconscious got me an ambulance got me to hospital and I woke up in intensive care and my first reaction was oh my god please tell me they haven't shaved all my hair off again and they hadn't shaved all my hair off but they'd shaved a big chunk off out the front because they had to do the operation so when I returned to work at Energis and I wasn't off you know as long as I had been at the previous organization was off for a few weeks But because of the chunk of hair that I had missing, I returned with these really snazzy headbands that for me, you know, just covered my scarring, etc. And my colleagues in HR actually received a complaint about my headwear and wasn't it inappropriate that I was wearing that type of thing, which again, just we just don't know what people are going through and what people are coping with. And I think that human element always has to continue to play out and ask questions I'd be really happy to answer questions about what's going on or and help to educate on that yeah but don't assume and also just be kind 
I think you made some really interesting points and thank you so much for being so raw. I think it's really important, as you say, I love that one head analogy. You know, we don't know what's going on. And if we treat people as, you know, which we've all worked, I've, I've got the same organizations where you're a commodity and you, you, your personnel number, old enough to remember that when I first started at the BBC, is that you become a commodity, don't you? I remember reading a book by Reid Hoffman called The Alliance, Mm -hmm. which talks about when he set up LinkedIn about there being a mutuality, the psychological contract between yourself and the individual, but enabling people to bring their their whole self to work. So when you think about that in the context Mm -hmm. of your HR career, people that are listening to this podcast may be new in their career or people. How do we put the human, you know, the H back into human resources? Because it feels like COVID has been a turning point in the fact that there is care, there is a bit more empathy, but it's still too much focus for me on policy and procedure. How do we raise the bar in terms of that human centric behavior ultimately? Yeah, do you know, that's such a good question. And I think we can all see it playing out with some of the conversations we're having around hybrid working, I would say, you know, that's front and centre of a lot of the challenges that some of us are having in HR at the moment. And, you know, I hear it from the business, from people who really vary between, yeah, cool, we've all worked from home, you know, we know we can make it work versus, yep, time to get back. I think that element of getting back is really misleading, because we're not going back, we're going forward. So, This has got to be the time where we start to think about how people can be their best and can bring their whole selves to work. And actually, as HR professionals, if we're not putting people's needs at the fore, we all know that they've got a choice and we know they're making those choices and voting with their feet at the moment. So your talent is literally going to be leaving you. So in terms of how can we get back to that conversation, I think as HR professionals, we have a real obligation and opportunity to continue to keep people at the fore. The human element is our responsibility to remind the business to keep top of the priority list, which is difficult. Like if I reflect back to the summer when one of the big banks in the city basically called everyone back to the office just a moment where you go guys come on what are you doing like this is not the right way to go and I you know I feel for whoever was in the HR position at that organization but you're continuing to push and have that influence on those senior leaders is really critical and if that means building relationships with senior leaders or restarting relationships with decision makers I think that's going to be really important to continuing to make that impact and that difference. We did a paper recently called HR Superheroes and we talked about being strategic business partners which you talked about. If you were thinking about your career and there were I don't know five key attributes because I'm taking it that everyone's got the skill right? Yeah. Yeah. What are the attributes that if you were telling yourself, what would those be, Mel? Things that immediately spring to mind. So one is compassion and always holding on to your compassion, your people centric element. Second one I would add is curiosity. Be curious about different things, you know, ask questions and seek information to aid your knowledge 
which is another one I'm going to add knowledge is a, a third one just because I'm struggling for four and five I'm not but you know just having that knowledge and gaining that through asking questions and researching and reading and being curious I think are really important elements especially if you think about you know for example today I've been interviewing for a diversity and inclusion advisor and the notion of making a difference in that space is really important but I don't have all of the answers of what we need to do to be able to make that difference but I do have an open mind and a curiosity and a real desire to make that difference so don't come expecting to be the expert in everything but do go and find enough information to enable you to add your voice to that particular area as well. And which will lead me into another point, which um, I think is my fourth or fifth, which is learning and keep learning. I'm constantly learning because there are things I want to know more about. And it's not because I want to get the badge, like the badges do not interest me, but the ability to learn and to add that to my portfolio, as it were, and and to my knowledge is something that is really important to me. And then I'm going to say my fifth one is sharing. So share your knowledge, share your experience, bring people with you and encourage others to be able to explore their own careers and their own way of learning too. When I've had teams, I've always promised my teams that they will leave me in a better place than when they joined me. And that has always been something that I've made sure of. So if that means that giving them time to study or giving them time to go on a conference, you know, enabling their learning and sharing what I know is also really critical. My old boss at Talk Talk used to say that his greatest gift in his HR career was that his team would go on and ultimately hire him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was just right. a really nice sentiment yeah. um, that he kind of wanted to pay it forward. That's what Absolutely. he used to say. I kind yeah. of want to pay it forward. Mm. And I remain immensely proud of everyone that I've worked with, you know, love seeing their careers progress and love the fact that they still get in touch to ask advice or just to have a chat. That's a real indicator of the difference that you can make. So maybe an unfair question to kind of end this and you can tell me to uh, do one or whatever we, you know, the PC term is. Where next? Where's your next challenge? Because you talk a lot about curiosity, that you naturally curious. You've been very entrepreneurial between roles to kind of fill a gap, but also shown a lot of tenacity mm-hmm. in just kind of rolling your sleeves up. What's the next Mel adventure? Do you know, the thing that is really setting my fire alight at the moment, Joe, is is neurodiversity. And the reason for that, or the reason why I'm interested in neurodiversity, my son was diagnosed with autistic spectrum disorder, or as he prefers, Asperger's, three years ago. And at the time he was diagnosed, I had no idea what that meant. And I didn't really understand neurodiversity or neurodiverse conditions. And so setting about understanding what his condition was and what that meant for him has led me to learn more about all neurodiverse conditions. And at a point, I realized that in HR, we're just not talking about neurodiversity in the same way that we're talking about other areas of diversity. And, you know, one in five of us is neurodivergent, I would 
wager a big fat guess that it's more than one in five actually the more I learn about it but not a lot of organizations will have neurodiversity as part of their diversity and inclusion strategy explicitly and that's a whole lot of talent that is not being particularly understood let alone sought so you know from an HR perspective I am now happy to talk to anybody who will listen about neurodiversity and selfishly as my son's mother I'm hoping that by the time he enters the workforce in about four years time, we're going to have a very different space. So that's really my passion at the moment, Joe. I love that. It's got real purpose. Mm-hmm. I always think your career should have purpose. Yeah. It's like leaving someplace better than sure. when we left it. And, you know, I remember when we worked together in Saeed, the first time I met you, that's what your mantra when you, we did the fireside chat and you were talking to your team, mm-hmm. it wasn't about, it's taking the ego out, isn't it? Mm. And realizing that the sum of the parts is bigger than the whole Absolutely. and that you play a part in guiding that. So hopefully when our listeners listen to this, they can, you know, not only feel the warmth that comes across in spades and, and knowing you well, the type of person that you are, but also will start to be those advocates. You know, I truly believe that we're only going to change. And now we've got an opportunity to change if we come together. Now is the time we can't stop waiting for someone else to do it. No, no, exactly. So thank you, Mel. Thanks for sharing your fascinating career story. I, knowing you for as long as I've known you, I didn't know some of those jobs. So I've learned a lot about, about <laughs> you. And thank you for, you know, getting raw and, you know, acting with integrity and with that one head. Um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Jane. Really enjoyed it. this episode of the podcast please subscribe rate and review it on apple podcasts go to letstalktalent.co.uk forward slash podcast for a transcript of this episode along with all the links we've discussed today